Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey folks, thanks for joining me today. This is another one of my audio-only podcast episodes. I spoke with Drew Landry. He's an artist who was from Louisiana, and he went on to a lot of different types of uh, activism and has combined both of that with quite a bit in his career. He's up there in Montana, involved with a community college over there, and uh, really neat stuff. Uh, Good discussion. Uh, A few minutes into it, and I'm going to let you know, uh, Drew was like really on the road. This is one of those podcast episodes, and this is why we don't have video, because he was basically shooting his forehead most of the time, and uh, he was really, really on the road, and also there's a point where I think he went to the mic on his SUV or minivan or whatever he was driving, so you'll hear that change uh, so many minutes, and I'll let you know about that. And uh, just had a lot of fun. This is a really interesting conversation. Uh, Now we're going to be into winter pretty soon. This is fall time. And uh, weather's changing. Fired up the furnace not too long ago uh, when I recorded this. So uh, that was a little bit dicey. I don't know how you always feel when you fire up the furnace at first. Um, But, you know, it always gives off that smell. So I always have the fire extinguisher ready. I know that's completely paranoid. But... uh, Always have to be ready for that kind of thing. I don't need the fire department visiting over here. But uh, yeah, really enjoy talking with Drew Landry. And uh, so here it goes. Hey, how are you doing this morning? Doing great, man. I'm sorry. I'm driving from Louisiana back to Montana. And just, I just met my lady and my daughter in Bozeman. So, Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just been not much sleep. and Beautiful out there in Montana. Yeah, it, it's it's really nice this time of year before the winter gets too cold. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a great place to be, man. It's pretty awesome. So uh, what do you want to talk about, man? Yeah, just, um, you know, about your uh, latest release, uh, everything you're doing uh, touring-wise. Uh, and you're also into a lot of activism, which is really cool. I love when people mix activism uh with music i was just watching this podcast with uh roger waters which is just a lot of fun to listen to just god what a smart guy well i think i'm just getting where i can play music again and you know i know it's part of what i do and it's a it's a tool that i can allows me to help other people and tell a story really quickly and and also um connect to a cause rather quickly uh you know, you can talk to your blue in the face about an issue, but if you write a song about an issue that moves people, and then if you're able to put it like a short video together, then it's even more effective, in my opinion. So, I mean, you know, I guess in any propaganda campaign, you're trying to win hearts and minds, but just trying to tell the truth and and, and address some things that need to be addressed is has always been the power of music. So whether it was like Woody Guthrie or Pete Seeger or whatever, you know, that's, that's a history of American folk music. It, it really is. It's really cool that, uh, that people can mix that together. And, and, and Pete Seeger was just like 
completely amazing at that and just really and it's a way to draw more people into it so your big issue is uh working with uh missing and murdered reservations i guess when i started with this stuff i was trying to help commercial fishermen after the bp spill and basically uh they're the sacrifice for the not only the oil spill but after it's all said and done because because instead of cleaning oil uh you know, BP decided to spray it, disperse, and it makes oil 50 times as toxic. And then uh, just because it was prohibitively expensive to clean it up. And then they sprayed a lot of guys that were cleaning the mess. So a lot of people got sick and de developed different illnesses. Yeah. So anyway, I signed a deal with Warner to try to do something about that. And yeah, that was about that uh, the oil spill in the Gulf, which is going back to like 2010. I remember that. Yeah, so I signed a deal, and it was supposed to, you know, we gave a little money to a nonprofit. You know, I made a nominal amount of money, but uh, I thought getting the word about out about what was going on would make a difference. And instead, within a year, the dude that has the Russian branch of BP ended up buying Warner. So it was like I was in witness protection instead of trying to put a single out so mm. and once once they capped the well nobody cared about the people that got sick cleaning the spill and i guess that you know as humans and americans or whatever you think that uh that if the world knows the truth about something then in turn <laughs> they'll do something about it but those are not mutually exclusive so uh and then there's always the next issue the next problem whatever and so I got a three-year-old daughter. Oh, what a great age. They're so innocent. She's uh, Cajun Blackfoot, and and we, we live on a reservation. So uh, I started going to the college there, and uh, there was a student that went missing, a former student. We kind of helped her sister look for her and, and all this stuff. And, and, and I guess, you know, through that, she continued to fight for justice for her sister, but she was speaking with, you know, elected officials and, and finally, some money came around. We had built a website and data. We eventually bought a, built a database and a reporting portal that kind of functions like a phone app. But at the time, we just built a little website demanding justice and did a petition that got 50,000 signatures. And so, I don't know, two, three years ago, Montana Department of Justice put out this little grant. And it was, uh, I think, 25K to rebuild that website and build a reporting portal and then a database for missing persons from tribal nations. Now, we don't get as many as... We've basically forwarded them to law enforcement, and we the job of on each reservation of your community liaison is to work with families that may not trust law enforcement, especially law enforcement on uh, Indian nations. And and I think we've done a good job. Three out of the last five cases, we basically um, stayed in contact with families while they went to major cities and were able to locate their loved ones. And uh, Sometimes they just, you know, you just want somebody to walk you through that process. So if I have a missing loved one and I'm on a reservation in northern Montana, but they're missing in a big city, uh, what we'll do is make sure that the copy of the report they sent to us goes to that law enforcement agency and that they did fill that properly and that dispatch is working that case, hmm. wherever that might be. And then from there, they may go to a city to try to locate the loved one. So, you know, those cases recently or this summer have been basically family members that went missing in big cities and they were in homeless uh, they were in homeless camps and stuff like that um 
And there's some other things that are real tragic, and a lot of it goes back to addiction, and a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, I think we're making a difference, you know. So. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you're, you're the total liaison between uh, the the families and and these uh, the authorities. So yeah, that's really important. So yeah, do you have an estimate how many that you've helped, or is it just you know, you, are you in a ballpark figure on that? I don't know. They're probably been. 15 cases over the last year and a half, something like that. It's not a whole lot, but we just got all the tribe in Montana on board. Once we get that functioning properly, I think we can scale this up around the nation. But, um, you know, it's it's doing what you do efficiently first before you try to save the world. You got to be able to, you know, save yourself, brother. So that's what's happened, man. yeah, that's what it takes. I mean, but you know, one is better than zero. So it's yeah, you, know, you don't have to have huge, huge numbers. You're just starting out. And here is where Drew gets into the car and switches audio. Uh, boosted this as much as I could. Well, we we always said if we save one life or help somebody find one loved one, and we've done our job. So, but you know, there's a lady that she went out and found her nephew, and then she helped another family find their loved one and so you know but it's just the beginning when you find somebody and they are dealing with uh addiction issues or mental issues or whatever i mean there's a whole other thing about trying to get people rehabilitated and also individuals making a choice to live a sober life you have no control over that you know so so, and it's not just a problem on tribal nations any poor community so uh, so hopefully what, what we're doing is making a difference. I'm excited about it. And, um, you know, building that team and then also you know, recording again, getting out and playing music. And then I got a little gig tonight in Whitefish. And uh, we're able to play a, a pretty decent festival, River City Roots, this summer. Cool. And the album will be out early next year. And we, and I hope that I can, you know, at least get on the festival circuit next summer and, and all that. But at the end of the day, man, Number one job is taking care of this little girl in the back seat. And uh, I'm not quit my day job to play music, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just, you know, figuring out how to do things and make time for things. So I just got back from Nashville, the Americana Conference, recording another album to be ready after this one. And trying to figure out how do you get music out today it's a, it's a different world post-covid it's a different world without cd um i guess people buy vinyl but i'm not buying a bunch of vinyl to melt my stock in my trunk before i go to a show i don't think that works for me so just figuring it out man what is how to, how do your songs make the biggest difference? Yeah, yeah. What's your writing process like? When do you find time to write when you're doing all this activism and you're dealing with the college and you have got a family? Man, I'm a unsafe driver. I write while I drive. <laughs> 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 I wrote a couple songs on the way home. <laughs> I, think yeah, that's where a lot of, I think when you're busy with something else, that's when the subconscious kind of gets work. I went to a gentleman named Ian Moore put on a songwriter camp. So I went to that uh, three weeks ago in Texas. And uh, I am making time for it, but uh, you can't stop those songs from coming when they come. So I don't know. Guy Clark said one time, if you don't catch that thought while it's floating through the air, you lose it forever. Christopherson always said that if you don't complete your thought or at least write down the gist of your song, uh, it won't come back the same way either. So 
sometimes you stop what you're doing and you write it down. You know, you might hear the medley, you might hear the words, but you, know, you just get that thought down in the little voice recorder on my phone. does a pretty good job. Yeah, right, right, right. You got to be a safe driver and you could just dictate things now into, into your phones, into technology. So that that kind of keeps you a little safer. And, you know, if you need to pull over and uh, basically get a thought down, at least, you know, or a melody, which is really nice. You could just basically record that quickly. I got some long drives in Montana. And then even to play a gig here, you're driving at least an hour anywhere in any direction. So. But it's beautiful, man, and I like that there's not too many people here yet, except for in the city of Bozeman and Missoula. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Bozeman is a, a market unto itself, but uh, yeah, people have got to congregate and live there. So, uh, how much are you? How much have you recorded in your entire musical career now? Have you recorded a lot of albums and a lot of singles? Yeah, and there's a bunch of stuff I just never got out. I think I have three on iTunes. So keep what's left first one we did and then uh i was planning a big album with these hurricane shit and then that was the tailgate and relief cd that we put out after katrina and rita and then um chair robbers line man that one charted in europe the first one where i got all my heroes to play on it so great slide guitar man michael juan nunez uh richard Tomo on steel some incredible players you know? and i think that brought a little more depth to what i do and then you know Recorded another one I never got to put out right before that wreck. Did a single on Warner. I'm sure, I got a bunch of little terrible recordings everywhere from live shows. But uh, but the the one we're working on now is called Exiles. That'll be out early next year, and we're just getting the mixes and the masters worked out. And I'm working with great people, buddy of mine, Ken, and another gentleman named uh, Tony Daigle is helping with it. He's a Grammy dude. But it's, it's the players and the fact that during COVID, I was able to get, you know, people that I really admire that weren't Tories. And so, um, you know, some of my heroes that I got to work with, you know, we also got uh, Dr. John and Bobby Charles. Or, uh, Bobby Charles is arguably the best songwriter ever come out of Louisiana. And I did work with Dr. John on an environmental album that we hope to get out. He's singing oh, cool. about Bobby's song. Yeah. But on this particular album, I do a, a Bobby Charles cover. I do a Dr. John, Mac Rabinac cover. I think there's four covers, two co-writes, and four other ones. And I don't usually do that, but this one's kind of paying homage to, to the dude that inspired me, man. You know, during that old field, Dr. John and I, we, uh, you know, we, we tried to musically, we tried to write these anthems like they did back in the day, but after we got all that recorded, there was no label to help out. Nobody was interested in putting themselves in a, on the wrong side of a political argument. And I don't think that labels are really supportive of artists, you know, standing up for anything anymore. <laughs> They're yeah, just worried about cash. Sad. Yeah, very sad. And now we're back to normal. You're going to hear that right now. So what was Dr. John like? How much did you do with Dr. John? Yeah, Mac is great, man. He was, uh, at that point, he was just uh, probably the most supportive. Anyway, I mean, basically, I just go to his house during the spill, and I was documenting. I was I was working on a documentary about the long-term health effects of the spill, and I'd go anytime I was in New Orleans, and he wasn't on tour, and we'd start writing. And so he had all these songs that Bobby had done, because Bobby had this idea called Solution to Pollution, where it was going to be three or four lesson plans with songs for kids, where it was about 
one was called clean water. The other one is environmental harmony. Mm. Another one called solution to pollution. And anyway, it was a little curricula for kids where they could start caring about the planet before, you know, while they were young and, and really yeah. thinking a little bit differently. And so, so anyway, we recorded those and I had written one that Mac really liked and he recorded mine. And uh, we had a bunch of great musicians going volunteering. So it just, the whole thing kind of, once they capped the well, you know, and I guess BP convinced the world that everything was good and clean, uh, and nobody cared about that anymore. And uh, so I think, I think now <laughs> with, uh, with, you know, everything going on, maybe people be more receptive and probably people are more receptive when there's a Democrat in office, but it really shouldn't matter. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's an issue. It's I mean, our, our, environment. Yeah. our energy policy and our foreign policy should not be as schizophrenic as it is or bipolar every time there's a different ad administration, you know, but it is. And that's just something that, uh, We just go for the lesser two evils and we end up right back where we were. So. Yeah, people like to pick teams and they like simple, easy labels and they want to have their uh, information processed for them. And that's that's the really scary part about a lot of this. But, yeah, I mean, right now, look, man, we shouldn't be digging holes where, you know, in sacred places or places aren't messed up, but we also shouldn't be uh, enabling Russia financially by buying oil from uh from them and it's you know i think there's some point where we went from energy independence to we tried energy dominance and it's always a fight with opec and you know all that stuff it's just multinational corporations that are you know really controlling all these things man there's no reason uh gas should be more expensive right now a damn uh hurricane didn't hit any refineries you know Right, right, right. It was yeah. just OPEC that decides, hey, we're going to cut production now. So then that, you know, basically it's a domino effect all around the world. It's you, you can't change that. So it's, it's it's OPEC holding the cards. The whole system really needs to be changed. Well, so, you know, COVID brought some other things to light with the job that I have at, at the college as an extension agent for USDA. And um so we work on a grant. I think we'll probably get it. Do like a mobile meat processing unit that can go straight to producers and you know help them with that because you know nobody's getting more for cattle than they were 15 years ago. But meat's more expensive, mm -hmm. and across the board, they just set up these artificial bottlenecks that just pass on a consumer to where you can't afford to build a house or go to the grocery store or do anything. And I just I don't know, man. Yeah. It's it's just goofy, man. I, I, I just don't understand how, uh, as Americans, we can accept either Trump or Biden right now. I mean, I have no use for any geriatric person running this country, you know, and you know. <laughs> it's either we yeah. either get this con man or we get a dude who can't string a paragraph together. And it's, I just don't understand why we can't do better across the board. Got no yeah. idea about that one. Yeah, you know, it's it, sometimes you feel like, oh, this isn't really truly a democracy. It's people who are getting uh, completely bought off by, you know, lobbyists. They basically yeah. control the whole system. And those with that power and that money, that's how you end up with whoever's in office or even the candidates you get. 
So there's, there's, you know, not the common person who's a candidate who could end up, you know, bringing power really truly back to the people. It's, it's a tough situation. So anyway, man, I don't sound like a no. pessimist or I'm complaining about these things, but the truth is I do see a lot of hope. I see a lot of hope with the programs we put together, uh, the tribal nations in Montana. I see yeah. a lot of hope with young people that don't share the same, uh, I guess, uh, hopelessness as the generations before you know right right uh, yeah and, and acting and I, locally I, that's that's the thing yeah you got to believe that there isn't a, you know that things will get better but you're right if something doesn't change within the our system of government it's going to be the same thing over and over because you know yeah with the with our with our system even the criminal justice system i mean it's it's not about punishment all it is about compensation and you know you could pay people billions of dollars you know you think about the people that got sick from the oil spill but what is somebody's life worth you can't repay somebody for you know yeah yeah and the kind of taking their life who work on those rigs i mean i'm sure they're offered very good money and there's there's no other opportunity so you go out there and you work hard and you know of course you're going to believe in your mission and your work but it's really the corporation that's just like making handsome profits yeah i mean i, I and i you know yeah no doubt but i mean i don't think i think that's all true yes uh, but i I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough thing. Yeah. I think at the same time, there has to be some kind of motivation to do better as an individual, you know? And if we don't have, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, it's just, it's just a crazy time, man, you know? And uh, I think people have more opportunities than they ever have had with technology. Even, you know, I'm hopeful about getting this album out. Yeah. Uh, I think if people want jobs right now, there's, there's a ton of them out there. And I think that employers are willing to work with folks too. But, yeah. uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I just think, I think it's all by design, man. You, know, you turn yeah. on, you know, CNN or, or Fox and you're just watching two sides of an argument and they're not giving you any news. They're telling you how to think. <laughs> so it just gets old. You know, yeah, I think the big thing is, yeah, there's there's no solutions. You know, we're not seeing enough solutions and people like you who are getting out there, you're rolling your sleeves up, getting involved, doing these things. You know, if you had more of that and and a lot of us knew more about that, it could inspire more people to get out there and just like, like, let's just do it. Just do it. Get out there. And, and, you know, if you don't like something, then just roll the sleeves up and get involved and take the steps you need to do. And you're doing that with your activism and your music. Yeah, I think and the other part of it is people would rather just blame other folks for their problems and not even try to fix it. <laughs> it's easier yeah. to, it's easier to be a bad guy or a scapegoat. So, sure. Yeah, sure. man. So, if there's any songs you want to play during this podcast, I think Last Man Standing is one I wrote. Yeah, that's off your. Is that off years of ago. Keep What's Last? Nothing's really changed since then. Yeah. Maybe I'll yeah. send you send you one of the new ones. But, uh, you know, I like, I'm just happy to have an opportunity play music again almost you know the whole bp film and oil spill deal ended when i hit 18 wheeler mm. head on on the way to grand, grand isle and i had to hit reset and come up here so um yeah. i'm feeling like i'm finally back to where i was 
with a, with a, with a new album and uh you know also you know when you're developing curricula and, and you you know you're not just talking about sustainability but you're actually building programs that can do that like yeah. regenerative grazing and uh you know taking kids out to glacier park and creating you know opportunities for sober living in places that that's not always easy you know then maybe you know even if it's just you know taking a kid that doesn't have two parents hunting with you that's mm-hmm. something man you know yeah that is that so is. so going way back you grew up in scott louisiana that's no i grew place. up in baton rouge but i i ended up my my grandma lived in scott and my parents are both from the lafayette area southwest and uh, I was always over there. I mean, we were there half the time anyway, you know. But uh, I grew up in Baton Rouge, and then I finished high school at Acadiana High. And I uh, went to college at, it was USL then. And I didn't know what I'd do. And I, I managed some bars, and then I, I kind of started running my own. And that's that's when I kind of found folk music, that uh, Oh Brother had just come out. And yeah. there were several country bands that are kind of redoing old stuff. and. And, uh, you know, I traced it back to like <laughs> Lead Belly and Jimmy Rogers and Woody Guthrie. And then, uh, cause I was a big fan of early rap and, uh, classic country, which is kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just started writing songs when I had this little bar and, uh, and then my first album was just winging it. And I think that I've gotten better as a storyteller and, and and i do some documentary stuff so it's fun to figure out how to tell other stories and whatnot but you know i don't know as far as activism goes i'm not just uh complaining anymore i'm trying to do something about things and you know there's a lot of people that can point out obvious issues and injustices but unless you're looking to actually uh, change something or at least make it (coughs) functional i think you're just yeah. you're just sometimes making it worse <laughs> you know right 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 yeah you're just trying to make a difference and and being up there is and making awareness and getting people when they're young uh before you know they you know they're the future it's like you know that's that's really important that they you know learn good values and respect uh the environment yeah and i think part of it is after the whole you know the place that i grew up hunting fishing we're losing land like crazy. They don't even let you fish in some places anymore. Uh, you know, it's expensive, some of those old leases and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just easier to connect to the land here and and uh, hunt on public land. And I mean, Montana's, I shouldn't even say how great it is because some uh, 20 <laughs> other people are going to move here. But uh, right it's, been really, it's been really kind to me and being a father and, and being able to teach my daughter not only about uh, Cajun culture, but you know, learning about Blackfoot culture and and, and even spirituality has been really cool, man. You know, yeah, Blackfeet uh, Reservation College. That sounds like a really nice place. Yeah, yeah Blackfeet Community College. We yeah. have our moments, I guess. So that's that's anyway. Uh, yeah. Got any other questions for me? Oh, yeah, always. A, um, just, you know, curious about your roots and you know, being in, from Louisiana and everything like that. Uh, how did you pick up on music? Did you start very young learning uh, music or did you pick Man, that up? I don't think I wrote a song until I was 
I mean, I always love music and, and I, I sing along and stuff. It was probably it's 25 when I wrote my first song, something like that. And uh, I'd already finished college, you know, went to went to college on the GI Bill, did some time National Guard. That's how I paid for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, luckily that was between both Gulf Wars and I didn't have to go and uh, go to war for a freaking lie, you know, yeah, which you could have ended um, up doing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A lot of kids around my age, you know, the, the first Gulf War. Um, but the second one was even more. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. When like, Colin Powell went out there and just straight up lied, and, yeah. you know, and whatever money disappeared the day after 9-11, all that. It's just like, mm-hmm. I don't even like, you know, it's just like, yeah, obviously there's a lot more to that story, but there is. You know, the point yeah. is there are things you can change and, it, and it's, it's mm-hmm. bettering yourself. It's taking a little time to be in nature and, and feel connected to the earth. And it's just, yeah. For me, it's, you know, writing a new song or, or, or you know, I've, I've been enjoying co-writing lately. That's been, that's been a fun thing, you know? That's so, really cool. Yeah. You got a lot of good tracks out there. Um, now, are you the author of Chicken Pot Pie or am I thinking somebody else there? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I just that's ran the crap one. about, uh, yeah, that was the last one we did on that first record. And uh, we just, I think it's just two chords and, it was about, you know, that time I was working in a Chafflai Basin for a gentleman named Greg Gerard, and he uh, he, um, he did a lot of great things, but we were pulling sinking cypress and milling it before all these freaking movies came up on about that, you know, all these uh, reality shows. Oh, yeah. And uh, and it were, he's a com- commercial crawfisherman, a photographer that written a bunch of books about the last people that lived in the Chafflai Basin. And so, so anyway, that's just about being on the levee and and uh and i had a, some talented crazy dudes singing background vocals and yeah it's it's kind of like a, a trippy little song about uh about the levy you know yeah good guitar work there have you did, were you self-taught or and you know banjo as well maybe no that was a, a dude that never played banjo <laughs> and i was just kind of putting a lot of reverb on backup vocals and a dude named Steve Stubblefield who uh, was in a band called Stallings, Tennessee that basically recorded that whole album for a couple hundred bucks. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that was the first, that was the first one. And uh, we just had a little space to do it and everybody helped out. And, you know, even the, <clears throat> I don't know, it was just, that's just where we started. So yeah, I could see that being on some kind of soundtrack or, Totally. For inbreeding or something it's pretty cool yeah yeah could totally be repurposed for that that's uh really really fun you know something that seemed a little bit more personal was uh is a corner store um that's um seems to be like you know pretty personal to you in in a certain way yeah everybody's down at walmart huh? yeah well, how true it is just down. To extra Papa dollar, had to close the corner store yeah i think that was about the time where a lot of these little mom pop restaurants were shutting down and, uh, and uh, you know, the commercial crawfishmen in the basin couldn't really pass that on to the kids because uh, there wasn't enough oxygen in the water because all these uh, levees at the oil companies, pipeline canals that they built. So, you know, just kind of like what made us unique was all these little restaurants and all these little stores and, and whatever it was in small towns. And then, you know, Walmart kind of put everybody out of business. And then as soon as they're out of business, they raise their prices. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So, mm. you know, I don't know. There's still some cool things, but. That Louisiana crawfish, there's nothing like that. That food down there is just, you know, one of a kind. Nobody does it mm-hmm. any better. It's just it's really, really good. You you cannot go hungry. Yeah, man. That's some that's some great people, man. I I was just just come from home and so I went to Nashville and Louisiana and you know, I went and hung out with some of my heroes and unfortunately a lot of them are dead. Like uh yeah. Dewey Potan, he was 80 something years old he went hunting a couple of days before he died or mm. you know greg he was still out there fighting to uh for the rights of commercial fishermen in the chaffalai basin and uh and there's still people doing it man don't get me wrong but i guess i'm just at a, at a time where i know it's time for me to step up and whether yeah. or not people like what i do or like me that's not even my business i just got to go out there and and do what i do to the best of my ability and try to enjoy it because life's yeah life's pretty short when you get close to the end you know it's so true and you know you got to do what you feel is right and um you testified at the did you testify at the louisiana state capitol no that was in new orleans they had a oil spill committee and i guess i at that time i didn't realize those were a lot of environmentalists that had worked their whole life and i thought i was just talking to people that can make a difference but you know i got to sing my song for those people and i did it because uh I think I went in there with a backpack and then they wouldn't let me in a meeting. So I was like, you know, I'll bring my guitar back, play this song. And then that thing went viral. It led to the record deal for that single. And, uh, and in fact, I just spoke with the lady that uh, signed me with Warner and she's now one of the higher ups and she liked my new stuff. And cool. I think everybody wanted that song to make a difference for the Gulf, but you know, we're, we were fighting a multinational company trying to tell the world that everything was clean and safe and go back to eating the seafood and go back to life as normal when you know it had, it had completely changed life for a lot of people especially the people that got sick uh because of all the crap they sprayed in the gulf oh, so yeah. i don't know man they're fond memories but i can never feel like i want anything i've actually all feel like I, I failed those people, you know, because I'd taken, it was, it was, I was one of the persons that was supposed to be the dude telling that story. And, uh, I couldn't find a, uh, I couldn't find a platform to do it. I couldn't find a way to just tell the truth about that. And so did the best we could. I think we led to at least them setting up a system of which people could file health claims. But they didn't settle any of those claims, man. They let those people die. Yeah, there's only so much you can do because they got so much power. But you're, you know, you're trying to fight the good fight, and that's you know, you do the best you can. Yeah, sometimes you get your ass kicked, yeah. and that's all right too. So that's, that's true. That's true. So you once served as a roadie as well. Uh, I roadie for a couple folks. Yeah, my buddy uh, Scott Byron was opening up a tour for Hank Three and. I did all kind of crap and I just yeah finally in a spot where I can get my music out again. So yeah, um, yeah. I know you shared the stage with some very interesting people, Billy Joe Shaver. That's uh gonna be interesting. I remember David Allen Coe very well uh from many years ago. Everybody's favorite racist, huh? <laughs> <laughs> 
my gosh. When I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's pretty shocking stuff. Yeah, he was all right. I, I mean, David Allen Cove, he wrote some of the greatest songs and did some stuff. I just, I like old country, man. I, I, yeah. I do like old country. And uh, no, man, I, I mean, just to open up for David Allen Coe or Johnny Winter, or, you know, get to hang out a little bit with Billy Joe Shaver. Or, you know, we played a festival with Merle Haggard and I knew Oh, a fiddle that. player. Yeah. yeah, man, those guys did it, man. They did it, and I'm hoping to do it. You know, but I don't know, man. There's a, there's a lot of people. Charlie Lubin was a friend of mine, and you know, him and his brother were great. And they had their time up in Nashville. So, if I'm blessed enough to get my time, and people like this new record, awesome. If I make a little difference for people in my community, great. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna keep writing songs. Yeah. Go out and play music when I get an opportunity, and uh, and I'm not gonna worry about anything else because it's a waste of time. Oh, so true, so true. So hopefully more touring out there. Where can we get your music? Do you have your own website and places where we can? Yeah, order I think DrewLandryGuy.com goes to NC Ramblers, NorthCountryRamblers.com, and. Uh, You'll you can find links on that. I need to update all my social media, and then when this album Exiles come out, I think I'll have an opportunity to really, you know, at least be on the same playing field as everybody else. And then if my stuff's is half as good as somebody else's, maybe I'll get an opportunity to play some bigger gigs. I mean, I just I'm just proud of the recordings we made so far, and 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 I, and I feel good about the people that I recorded those songs with. And, we're gonna do the best we can and and uh if i can hang out in montana yeah and keep my little job and tour in the summertime and then maybe go back to louisiana for a couple months in the winter i don't think i need to be doing much else you know yeah and you got the dirty cajun so that's uh excellent so you can get out there and uh just really get around there that sounds great well Thanks for stopping by, and uh, we'll get the word out about what uh, what you're up to. All right, man. Much respect. I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully you can throw a few songs in between the, my pontification. Sounds good. You have a good one. All right. Appreciate you, man. Have a great day. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye.